Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all its resources for free. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. How's everybody? Good morning. <clears throat> so happy to be here with you. I'm overwhelmed and humbled by what God is doing in your life. And uh, Pastor Jay said it earlier, it's what he does in us that brings us together because it's the work of him in us. And I just love that. Um, I know you got like a book of notes. <laughs> I think that's so funny. Uh, but our projector isn't working. I said, you know what? Let's just give them pretty much almost the whole thing. Right? Um, but happy Black History Month, right? Let's get a woo-woo. yeah, we're so happy to celebrate this month, Black History. Um, be a good time to reflect and look and grow and uh, celebrate with those that Make some history. The coffee. It's important, man. That's yes. the most important. Yes. Can't have Jesus without the coffee. Jesus in the coffee. Jesus through the coffee. Yes. Pastor Jay spoke last week, I mean, uh, last time about uh, community, and we're in a series of community. And we talked about being aware of how the enemy rolls, uh, crawls around like a roaring lion. He quoted James Piper in saying that the roar is actually so. And in this suffering, we find where it comes to us, it challenges us, it affects us, it hurts us, it's not easy. And um, many times when you find someone that has left the church or left the Lord, usually there's some kind of suffering that's tied behind that, that takes them away. And today, as one of your pastors, it's in my heart to equip you and to, uh, to be hopefully used by God to, or Him to equip you, with um, how to encounter, how to deal with these trials. Um, before that, if we can pray real quick. Father, I pray for this day that uh, we don't have to perform, that we don't have to do anything this morning, um, but that we can be with you. That we're not just doing church, but we're to be with you and to be with each other, alongside each other, and to hear from you as you will use the means of your word and teaching to speak and minister to us. And we pray, God, that all of us will know that there's nothing, God, that we can do to make you love us anymore, and there's nothing, God, today that we will do that make you love us any less. In Jesus' name, amen. So we'll find some kind of suffering when someone leaves. Now, we all know that we are living on this earth and that we will all go through difficulties. We will have trials, we will have pain, and we will have suffering. In our culture, though, we have a hard time with that. Can anyone say amen? We have a hard time because we're always thinking that these things aren't supposed to happen because things are supposed to get bigger and people things are supposed to get better and we're supposed to have more comfort. Things are supposed to get nicer, right? So in our culture, it's really hard for us to accept when something is happening that hurts us or that comes against us or slows us down. We're used to making things happen. We're used to fixing things and we're used to just moving forward and moving right on. In 1 Peter 4, 12, it says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when, I, when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. I love how God is always very transparent in the word to be able to tell us the truth so that way we're not caught by surprise. And that's what Peter says, don't be surprised when these things happen to you. 
But doesn't it seem like a surprise every time something happens to us? It's like, what in the world is this? So what I would like to talk about is how trials affect community. How trials affect community. One of the trials that we're experiencing all together at once is one like the pandemic. One like racial injustice, politics, government mandates. It affects us all at once. And then there's also those other trials that affect us individually. Uh, things like a job loss, a job change, a sickness, a loss of a loved one, breakups in relationships, in families, in churches, moving from place to place. We receive trials in so many forms. But I want to share from me personally, at this time, I am in a trial, and as one of your pastors, I want to lay this before you and say that I'm sad. And it's hard for me to even say that, uh, even though I should be an example here, and that I'm grieving the racism in our country. And I'm grieving the racism in the so-called Church of America. The reason why I say so-called church is because racism is anti-gospel, anti-Christ, and anti-God. It is the opposite of love, and I'm sad, and I'm hurt, and I'm angry. One of the ways to illustrate this is the life of Jesus. Jesus experienced racism when they said nothing comes good out of Nazareth. He experienced classism when they said he's just a son of carpenter. He experienced brutal, being brutalized by the Roman soldiers and even the crowds. He experienced injustice for he came before the people and he was innocent, but they unjustly or unjustly committed him to death. He experienced betrayal by his closest of friends. And of course, by the masses, he experienced the loss of loved ones like Nazareth and those that passed away along the way. And he also experienced having to move away from his family and being homeless, being lied to, being falsely accused, and being overwhelmed by the demands of so many people. His life is an illustration of what it is to have to suffer and what has to go through trials. The trials we, will come our way as part of living in a fallen world. One of the biggest questions is why do things happen and where do they come from? Well, ever since the first man had sinned, before then there was never, ever no trials. But when that happened, trials entered and everything is broken, everything is broken. This is probably a horrible example, but I'm gonna give it real quick. I took my dog out the other morning, hopefully it'll make you laugh too, and I have this spot that if I put him right there, he'll pee and he'll poop real quick. That's what you want to do when it's freezing in the morning. He pees and he poops, no, he, he, yeah, he, he pooped or peed or one of the two, and then he goes sniffing around to do one or the other, and he finds a pile of poop, and he begins to eat it. <laughs> That's how broken this world is. There's brokenness in everything. Your bicycle tires will get flat after a while and don't put air in them. I mean, it's just brokenness in everything. We're in this world and, and, it's, and it's affected by sin, so not until we get to the next world, which is heaven, will it all be better? So in your notes, it says, are we closed? 
uh, how trials can break down communities. So the big question is, are we closed? So keep that in your mind, are we closed? One of the ways that community is broken down is when we isolate. Believe it or not, it has to do with others. We think isolation has nothing to do with nobody. No, isolation has to do with others because we're concerned on how they're viewing us or how they'll receive this, so we isolate. Maybe we've been taught that whenever there's something wrong in our lives, that it's bad and that it's negative, you're looked down upon, so you isolate. There's a sense of shame sometimes. Again, in our culture, it's wrong to slow down. It's wrong to have something wrong. It's wrong to go through trials, in a sense, to show weakness, to show hurt and pain. Maybe we think they have so much going on in their lives that we don't want to worry them, we don't want to worry them, but, but worry them again, the focus is on them. And we're having pride at that moment because we're thinking that we know what's, what they can handle, what they can't. Our attempt of isolation is never successful, though, because it always affects someone else, even when we isolate. We may feel that people don't understand, and that is true. It is impossible for people to understand us from a distance. So one of the ways it's broken down that we respond is through isolation. Luke 15, 4 says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? Isolation is never an answer. Well, this is a story that Jesus shared about the shepherd leaving the 99 to get the one so he would not be isolated. Why? Isolation breaks down community. That's probably the first thing I do is I isolate, just to be honest. It takes a lot for me to just put it out there and put on someone. But I'm changing that today. Jesus is saying, you better tell me about what you're feeling, right? Number two, we look for someone or something to fix it. We're looking to someone or something to fix it. We put on people these expectations. If you do fill in the blank or stop doing this, then I'll feel better. Then this will get better. Then this trial will pass. We look to something to fill it or to fix it, whether it's a substance that we abuse or whether it's a busyness to get over it, to, to divert our attention from it. There's many things that we look to, or sometimes we look to someone. But isn't it true that that's so frustrating when someone looks to you to fix something, right? Or when you look to someone, even to fix someone, so you'll feel better? It's frustrating. See, when we look to someone or something else to fix it, this also causes more breakdown of community. Number three is we look for someone to be angry at. Right? Or something to be angry at. Usually it's someone. With this, we don't look at others as persons, as people, as battles. But we look at them as an object of our wrath. There's got to be someone that I can blame. There's got to be something that I can be angry at. Whether it's a politician, or whether it's someone in leadership, or whether it's our own child, or our own husband, or wife, or teacher, or boss, or family member. We would look to someone to be angry to, to somehow get this off of us. This is how I deal with trials. I explode, right? I get angry, we can say. I let, out, let it out on others. I would invite us to take responsibility for our anger. It's not anyone else's. It's our anger. 
Now, there is a process, a biblical, uh, in a biblical way to how to process anger. Because anger isn't always bad. The Bible says, be angry but sin not. Anger in the right way, in the right sense, causes us to have energy to make a change or for something to shift or maybe identify an issue or to address an issue. But doing it in an angry way is where it goes off the rails. And if you would like, I can send you a resource um, that I saw the, uh, last night or the night before as I studied this about anger. It's so awesome how the Bible just like teaches us how we can process anger. Proverbs 20, 29, 22 says, an angry person starts fights, a hot-tempered person commits all kinds of sin. Anger puts a wall up and causes more pain and breakdowns in community. This sermon is not about anger, but it's definitely some a way that we can respond again that breaks down community. And is there anyone here that's never responded in anger? If there's anyone here, we all have responded at some point in anger. The next page is, are we open? So we see what breaks down community, and now we can look at what can build up community. So the question, first of the question was, are we closed? And then now, are we open? How trials can build community. Being open, facing what's about, what's going on, not denying reality. That's the first thing, and it's so hard. Again, if we go back to sometimes our, our origin of how we were raised, we're raised to not address how we feel. So being open is being open to lament. And what does lament mean? Lament means is to express a deep grief or regret or a sorrow. That's hard. Naming the feelings and allowing yourself to feel. Again, depending how you're raised, what culture, what family, sometimes that's foreign. But I want to tell you that it's okay. It's okay to not feel good. It's okay. It's not a sin. It's not wrong. And so let me say that again. It's okay to not feel good. The Bible gives us examples. As a matter of fact, two-thirds of the Psalms the book of Psalms is a lamentation. There's an actual book on lamentations. David says in Psalm 6:3, My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? Jeremiah, in the book of Lamentations, because he's grieving of what's going on to God's people, and he's looking for a rebuilding in 17, John uh, Jeremiah 3:17, he says, My soul is a regret of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. I say my endurance has perished, so has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood, the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. We can see he's, he's voicing what he's feeling. The last example is the example of the Lord Jesus himself. He is in the garden in anguish to the point of sweating drops of blood. But what does he do and what do we see these people do? is we see them sharing it with God. We actually see them writing it down. And sometimes it's better to write it down, or one, one way to, to, to share it with God is to write it down and read it to Him. So we see them sharing it with God. And we also see them sharing it with others. Sharing it with someone you can trust, someone that you know that's safe to share it with. 
with your community, right? I mean, that is community. War uh, warning, this again is not for us to take it out on someone when we're sharing it. Because it can easily be taken out on someone, but it's okay to share it. Ask them to pray for you, not solve anything. We're so quick to move to solving, ask them to help you, uh, help you by just praying. Be careful not to act out or react on feelings. That is usually where it goes. A little personal story of mine and my child depression and anxiety. I was about 35 years old, and for the first time, I had felt uh, depression and anxiety and had a, I would say, a nervous breakdown. Woke up from, actually, I went to bed one evening and I can't go to bed. I started to have these racing thoughts and this fear that was beyond anything I've ever felt in my whole life. And it wouldn't stop, and it wouldn't stop. And I was just making fearfulness of everything, things at my work, things with my home, things with what, about myself. And I went through this severe depression probably for three months severe, maybe six months. It took about a year, and to this day, I'm affected just a little bit by it. Um, I'm thinking of seeing the final uh, part of it. I don't know, it could come back, you never know. But in this situation, I remember praying and I remember sharing with God what I'm going through, and it felt like he was not there. And it felt like when I prayed, the prayers would hit the ceiling and bounce right back. It was so hard. It was so difficult. Of course, I wanted him to just take it away. And just so you know, when you share with God or you share with others, this may not take it away. This may not take away whatever it is that you're going through. It might get even a little worse for you, not because you're sharing, but sometimes things get worse. But sometimes it does take the edge off. And the key in being open and, and being able to share is inviting others in to take part and be part of that and allow them to love you, for we're not made to do this on our own. The next thing is how we go through is waiting on God and the unknown. Lamentation 3.26 says, It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. The key is waiting to be in that moment for God to do something, for God to move. In other words, we're not going to rush off to try to fix it. We're not going to rush off to blame someone. We're not going to rush off to anger. We're not going to rush off to hurt someone or hurt ourselves. We're not going to rush off to make decisions, but to wait and to wait on the Lord. Taking our time and going slow. Waiting on God is the hardest because we're waiting on God, and none of us like to wait. We don't like to wait in grocery lines. We don't like to wait anywhere. Grocery store lines. God wants a deep change, though. Deep change is usually coming from when it takes, it, it takes time. It's not something quick. So it's okay if it takes time. But quickly changing is surface change. Rushing on to the new, rushing on to what is next. I want you to know that it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay because God has helped me, helped you, helped us in the past, hasn't he? Has God ever helped you? Raise your hands if God has helped you. Tell your neighbor, has God helped you? Yes, he's helped you. It's a trust between us and God that is being built up. Love is being birthed out of this that we're going through. Love is being birthed. I'll get to that in a minute. In order for love to be birthed, there has to be a death. It's painful. When something is dying, it's painful. There are things that need to die in us. There are things that, that need to go to death. So love may be birthed. 
which leads me to Jesus and what he says. He says to pick up our cross and to follow him. The cross is a symbol of death. He says in order for you to gain your lives, you must lose your life. And we are creatures that go after comfort and it's hard to experience these many deaths in our life. After death, what comes? It comes the resurrection and the new birth, which brings about real love. And what do we know what real love is? It says in 1 John 4.10, this is real love. Not that we love God. And that's what we go to. How can I love God better? How can I be a better person? How can I, can I, can I suffer well? How can I you know, do this right? You know, what am I doing wrong in order for me to feel this way? What did I do wrong to have to go through this trial? No, this is not love. It says not that we love God. It's something we need to do on our part. But that He loved us. That's what love is. Has nothing to do with our love for Him. It's that He loved us. And sent His Son. Here's the description. Just sacrifice. As a sacrifice to take away our sins. That's what love is. A trial that ends in death. A downward motion for our Savior shows us this unconditional love where we do not have to perform for it. See, having great spiritual gifts and talents and and, and abilities are dangerous. Dangerous, dangerous, dangerous if we have not been changed by the trials and the suffering that we go through. Dangerous. We've seen it with people in power and government. We've seen it in, in, in those that are celebrities. We've seen it you know, with those that have gifts within the church that operate. We've seen it with our own selves, right? Where we're good at something, but if we haven't been changed through these sufferings, it's dangerous. A little quick story I heard this morning, great illustration. I'm going to go over and steal it from somebody. There was a seven-year-old that went to church. I mean, I'm sorry. There was a seven-year-old that went through a tragedy. Young man, young boy, his three-year-old sibling, uh, there was a fire, was, was, was killed in the fire and watched the loss of his three-year-old sibling. That next Sunday goes to church and the preacher says, come up here and praise God. The kid looks at the preacher, takes off and leaves and never comes and, and does not go back. Ends up becoming an atheist and for years and years and years, it's always arguing against or fighting against God, fighting against the church, fighting that his experience was this. So many years later, he's dating someone and this person, I don't know, either comes to Christ or is already a Christian, I don't know, and that he would go and pick her up or she would gather with, I guess, a minister and his wife or whatever. And as he's going, they invite him in to come and just have coffee. And they do this for month after month after month, never saying anything about Jesus until one day it comes up and the young man goes to share his story and he goes to share with the minister what happened and the minister begins to cry and he asks the boy could I pray with you and he prays with him and the Holy Spirit filled him and he felt comfort and peace and for the first time his anxiety that that young man was going through went away the difference is this minister versus this minister, I'm not trying to judge or throw stones, but one may have not, I don't know his story either, have not been changed by the sufferings in life. 
versus this other minister had. One caused one to do something instead of listen and connect. I mean, the boy just lost his three-year-old sibling. And the other one was able to lament and enter in. That's why it's so important. We look at 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about love. And it says, says, if we speak in tongues and men of angels but have not love, I am noisy, gong, or clanging symbol. In other words, I could have this powerful gift, but if I have not suffered, if I have not had this death in my life of things that I've gone through to see God give me new life, if I am not humble, if I'm not experienced this, then I will be even unloving in my gifting. So that if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, but I have, if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. You can have all these gifts and abilities, but then if you haven't been changed and you have no love, it's nothing. But if I give all that I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I get have nothing. We can go out on these causes of helping people, but we can do it without love, without being affected by those that and what they're going through, not be able to enter into the world. And he goes on to say, what is love? Love is patient. Where do you get patience? In a trial, right? Love is kind. Where do you get kindness from? I can tell you when I was in my depression, I had more compassion for people, I had more compassion for my wife, my children, anyone. Anyone that was suffering, my heart would just break quickly, instantly. It's caused me to live close to that hurt and pain in my life and never uh, forget it. Because sometimes if we forget it, then we forget how prideful we were before we had gone through those situations. But it made me compassionate. And it humbles me to this day. It reminds me that there are people that are suffering and hurting. And just like Jesus, Jesus is one that entered people's hurts in their lives. Over and over you can read and see how he enters the pain of people's life. The Bible says he is a present help in the time of need, in the time of suffering. So, if we don't allow ourselves to suffer and feel pain and trial, then it's impossible to feel the pain and trials of others without love. The thing is, I don't want you to hear this. I don't want you to hear that there's a wrong way to suffer and there's a right way to suffer. That's not the meaning of this. And most of the time, that's what we're taught. You're good if you suffer well, you're bad if you don't. That's the world. Do good, you're good. Do bad, you're bad. Right? Karma. That's religion. Religion says if you do good, you're good. If you do bad, you're bad. That's not what I want you to hear. It's different. This is an invitation for God to do something deep within us. I definitely don't want you to think, well, now I know how to process trials. Now I know how to do this. And that's just a way for us to fail because this is not about accomplishing how to process and how to build community. To muster up this strength and strategy to do it, that's not it. It's an invitation to be with Jesus. But this is what I want you to hear, is this. The worst trial for us to have to go through would be pain for every sin that we've committed 
and then having to go to hell. Now that's not to minimize any trial you've been through, but that would be the literal worst trial, is for us to pay for everything that we've ever done wrong. And then go to hell. And hell, one of the effects of hell is to be separate from God. To experience an eternal abandonment from God is part of the effect of hell. Is there anyone here that would want to go to hell? The obvious question is no. Can I get a show of hands? See, the thing is, is that Jesus, if you hear anything in this whole sermon, came to this earth to experience the worst of trials. He never had done anything ever to deserve and to suffer and to pay for our sins that he did not commit, but that we committed and be abandoned by the Father. Habakkuk declared, God, thy eyes are too pure to approve evil. God does not approve evil. He does not do evil. He's not involved evil. He does not tempt anyone to do evil. He is all good, all pure, all light, all righteous, all good. Never, ever does God do anything bad. Ever, ever, ever. God turned his back when Jesus was on the cross because he could not look upon the sin even or perhaps especially on his own son. Just as Jesus loudly lamented, God, Father, had indeed forsaken me. Jesus did not die uh, to be called a martyr or for a righteous cause or simply as an innocent man wrongly accused and condemned. That's not what his death was. He didn't die just to die. Jesus was delivered up because of our transgressions. What we did do against God and what we didn't do that we should have done for God, he died for those things. That means each and every one of us are guilty. That means that he died for each and every one of us individually and all of us together. And he died for our sins according to scriptures. He who knew no sin, he never knew what sin was, became sin on our behalf, became it, and became a curse, Galatians 3.13. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. He bore them. He died for sin once and for all, for uh, the just, which he was just, for us, the unjust. There was a switch. There was a transfer, our unrighteousness for his righteousness. The righteous heavenly father, check this out, had to judge him fully and accordingly because he became sin. So he just didn't die for my sins and forgive me. No, he had to judge his son because now he became sin. He became the sin we committed. He became the transgression. He became it. It wasn't just placed upon him, he became it. See, Jesus experienced the worst trial that any human can experience, and that is to be abandoned by his Father, so we would never be abandoned by the Father. So 
pemuda pendidikan yang tepat. So when it comes to our trials, the worst is never the worst. Jesus already took on the worst. That doesn't that doesn't play down in what we're going through at all. That's not the purpose of me saying that for you. But it's for you to have hope in knowing that Jesus took on the worst. And when it comes to our trials, we have hope because of that. We have hope because of that. And the reason why is we all know we will do it wrong, but Jesus did it right. So this is not to discourage us or cause us to run from trials or, it, or the opposite, to try to work hard and do it right, but rather to rest in the fact that Jesus passed the test and that we are secure forever in the Father's hands. If you, I want to invite you to believe that. Then to believe you don't have to pay for your sins. They don't go unpaid for. They don't go unjustly just written off. They go paid for. And it gives us this righteousness and this acceptance that's unconditional. In other words, if Jesus died for all of your sins, then what would keep you from coming to God? What would keep you from having a relationship with Him? What would keep you from knowing that you are loved and that you're accepted and that you mean something and it has nothing to do with what you do right or what you do wrong? That's the love that God has. No one else could purchase it, but He wanted to purchase it. And that's why it says it's like a man who loses a coin and then he searches throughout the whole house and he finds it and he finds it, he invites everyone else to celebrate because he found his coin. He just made his son or daughter righteous. He took upon their guilt and gave them his righteousness. We are secure forever in the Father's hand. I want to invite you, I want to ask you when there are trials, here in Church. That am I moving toward God? Am I moving towards my brother? Am I moving towards my sister, my loved ones, my neighbor, my community, or am I moving farther from them? That's an important. I want to invite you to ask that question. We can, with confidence, be open to trials and suffering. It's never something good. It's never something easy. And we can lament and wait and see what God will do, because no matter what, there is always a resurrection. It just didn't stop at Jesus dying for our sins and paying the penalty. It continued on to three days later, Him raising from the dead again, rising from the dead. There's over 500 accounts of this, uh, of seeing Him after His resurrection from those that believe and those that don't believe. This is a historical fact. This is true whether we believe it's true or not. Because down deep in our hearts we know that this life cannot be all there is to life on this earth, but there must be something more. We know that there can't be just this pain and this sorrow and this madness and this hurt and all that we go through and then that's it. And we just die and that's all there is. There's nothing else. 
There is something inside of us and that's what makes us angry. That's what makes us want to make things better. That's what makes us want to change and grow and stop this pain and make things better because we're made in the image of God. And he makes all things better. So it's about being open to God and what needs to die that will be, and out of that something will be birthed. What needs to die in me in this situation? One needs to die in whatever trial you face, whether it's little or big, no matter what kind of trial. See, the resurrection is our peace. The resurrection is our joy. The resurrection will be justice. Why would the resurrection be our peace? Because the resurrection says that not even our sin or death was able to defeat us, and that's our biggest enemy. There's nothing facing you more in this life than your guilt of sin and then and death. If those two can be conquered, then you can have peace. Because if, no matter how painful things are and how bad it gets and how bad you do, there's a resurrection. When the thieves were on the cross and one said, get someone to get you off of here, you're the son of God. And the other one said, remember me in paradise. These thieves were guilty. Jesus said, today you'll know that you will be with me in paradise. See, there's hope because of a resurrection. There's peace. There is joy because of a resurrection. There is justice because of a resurrection. All things, the Bible said, will be made right. All bad things will be undone and it will go back to where it should have been, which is life with God forever. Life with each other, with those that belong to God forever. With no trial, with no sadness, with no tears, with no crying. And the Bible says this life is like a vapor. It's here one moment and it's gone the next. Today can be your day, tomorrow can be mine, next week can be someone else's. I speak to older people all the time in my workplace. Spoke to a lady just the other day. She says, I think I'm on my last lap and I want to do everything that God wants me to do on this last lap. I think about my life. I don't have any, too many laps left. I just, we just don't. It goes by so fast. But there is a resurrection. The resurrection, why is there peace? Why is there hope? Why is there joy? It's because the resurrection is a person. And who is that person? Jesus says, I am the resurrection. I am the life. As we are able to face our trials with this hope that no matter what happens, that God will birth something new in this trial. God will bring something alive in this trial that you're in. And maybe it's just having a relationship with him for the very first time. Maybe it's having a relationship Get growing close to him. Maybe it's returning back to him as you've been running from him. See, we use God sometimes to stay away from God. We use busyness to stay from God. We use our hurts. We use the very trials and the tragedies and the suffering to stay away from God. But God can allow that to die and he can allow to bring it to life and say, guess what? I want you. And that's what he's saying. Everything in this world is against you and God being together and you and your brothers and sisters in Christ and those that you love separate. 
everything this life. And as the worship team comes up, we're going to come to a close here. Unless you got some more papers there. I want to invite you. The Bible says that we should repent. And this word has been given as a bad word, like, you've done something wrong, you better, you know. But I want to invite you to repent. And repent really means to have a changed mind. I want to invite you to, uh, some of you, uh, this lands on you, to maybe turn from what you thought about God, thought about what He's like, and what's kept you from Him, to turn from that and turn to Him today. I want to invite others that maybe have gone through trials or are going through trials right now, and maybe you have responded, you've been open to maybe now be open, open to what God is going to do in your life, open to what God has already done. This is not something that you can do. This is not a do, a do, do better, try harder at all. And as we take of the Lord's Supper, what it is, is it's Jesus saying, do this in remembrance of me. And it's what I was talking about, how he gave his life, so he took the bread and said, this is my body, which will be given up for you. And as you eat of the, of the bread, as you eat of your communion, it's God's means of, of, and his presence is present there with us to be able to take in his life, to take in that he died so we could be forgiven. And then he took the, the, the cup and he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my blood that will be poured out for you. And this will be a new covenant. The thing I love about God's covenants is that they're not based on us, they're based on him. So he makes an agreement with himself that he will never go back on forgiving you and forgiving me for whatever we have done. And I don't know about you, but I want to be. I do backwards. I run backwards. I sometimes don't see people. I get angry. I isolate. I handle what's been given me irresponsibly. Sometimes I hate. Sometimes I get bitter. Sometimes I want revenge. And I need God to forgive me. Is there anyone else that needs God to forgive me? So if, you, if you're going to partake of the cult of communion, you're saying that you believe in Jesus and that he died for you on the cross for your sins. If you have not believed that yet or, or have not responded to believe that, then we would ask for you to refrain from that because this is serious to God. Because this is his body, and this is his blood, and this is us remembering that. You don't have to be good enough to eat and drink. Your qualification is your sin, my sin. And what allows us is to say, know that I sinned. That's what qualifies us. I have sinned, and I want to be forgiven. And if that's you, you can take of the bread and the juice.
that's even some of us have been living for the Lord for a long time. Like, I just want to be forgiven again. Jesus says, you're forgiven. Take it today and leave knowing that there's a resurrection and that Jesus is the resurrection. And that's what we're celebrating today. I invite you in Jesus' name. God bless you, church.